I'm Maria Stabio. This is 2MF on Clock Tower Radio, clocktower.org. Sonia Derman is away for today's episode. 2MF is a series of monthly community meetings, open and participatory experiences that we organize, collaborating each month with selected New York City artists. 2MF aims to encourage pro-emotive and anti-academic conversation amongst artists living in New York City. All meetings are free and open to the public. For more information, visit the number 2 many feelings.com. Post-meeting discussion occurs here on Clock Tower Radio. Episodes feature conversations with 2MF's facilitating artists reflecting on the recent in-person meeting. This month's meeting took place at Wendy Subway with Carrie Downey and Amy Zion on Saturday, May 28, 2016. Carrie Downey is here in the studio today. Carrie Downey is an interdisciplinary artist and teacher whose work explores the political and sensorial ways which we come in contact with each other. Downey's videos, prints, and performances reimagine the possibilities and limitations of gender, intimacy, and support in late capitalist America. Downey is a recent recipient of the Joan Mitchell Emerging Artist Grant, and their work has recently been exhibited at LACE, Los Angeles, California, the Center for Curatorial Studies at Bard College, Annandale, New York, the Drawing Center, New York, New York, Taylor Macklin, Zurich, and Reverse, Brooklyn, New York. Downey holds a BA from Bard College and an MFA from Hunter College. Welcome, Carrie Downey. Hey, thanks for having me. Yes, thank you for being here. Thanks so much. So I thought we, we could talk a little bit about what happened in the meeting. And I think the first thing that we did was play a game of telephone, but it was a little bit modified. So I'm wondering if we can talk about how you decided to change the typical or traditional game of telephone and why you decided to do that. Sure. It was actually a game that I played in my house. I live in a co-op and one of my housemates who's done a lot of theater improv introduced it to me. And I'd done something sort of similar in my teaching at MoMA um, in front of Girl Before Mirror, this kind of way of two people coming together and one person following the other. And the version that we played at my house, it was a, a, a line of people, one following the next. So the idea being that we copy each other gesturally through facial features and hand gestures um, and not through speech. So trying to communicate something through a line of people. So I started the game and then everybody followed and we wanted to see in the end what would be communicated, what would be lost. And so it was a, a, a physical experiment, a way to just kind of get into our bodies to start the conversation. Right. And what was so fascinating to me was that um, because I was kind of at the end of the telephone line, I didn't, I was obviously not, you were not supposed to watch the, the beginning or the front of the telephone line so you wouldn't see the gesture, obviously. Um, and so I could hear people just cracking up behind me and I really wanted to know what they were laughing about and I could not turn around, it was killing me. Um, but it was so funny because in the beginning, what was, or can you just describe the gesture that you Sure. I totally just stole the idea directly from my housemate, Jesse. So thanks, Jesse, for this. (laughs) Um, It was just three gestures. It was, um, it's almost sort of like uh, being on Skype and the sound going out and you just see somebody moving their hands or, or maybe their mouth trying to communicate. So my gesture was, come over, I'm cooking dinner, eat with me. Mm-hmm. So the gesture was uh, with the hands beckoning towards me, a uh, kind of stirring of a pot, and then um, 
my hand to the mouth. So I, what I liked about this was, um, you know, that it was kind of rhythmic and repetitive, but then it also I knew would get a little juicy mm-hmm. because the gestures could quickly go into the lewd, which I knew right. would be um, funny. But I also think the humor is just part of the game in the absurdity of it. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a combination of what you chose to make the initial gesture and then obviously people transmitting it into something that is absurd. And mm-hmm. um, But it did kind of, it turned out to be kind of, what was the final thing? It was like the, the beckoning actually stayed very similar. Yeah. That's what carried through. Right. And then um, the the stirring kind of became this like swipe or like swat kind of. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. And then I can't remember what the last part was. I think we completely lost the hand to the mouth, but instead a new gesture was added, which was this kind of shrug of the shoulders. What the fuck am I doing? Yeah. Um, What is this? Like as a way of saying, I'm I'm done. I'm passing the gesture on to you, but then it ended up just adding a, yeah. a, a new gesture. So I thought that was interesting as well. And I also thought it was super fascinating that um, the one thing that kind of remained was this communication of, as you said, a beckoning, but it could also be seen as maybe an invitation. Mm. So I like that that was sort of a through line because that was the fundamental thing that was being communicated was you know, come over, come, mm-hmm. you know, you're invited to this to the situation. So, and I thought that was kind of a, a lovely intro as a kind of uh, invitation into um, watching the video and then the conversation. Right, exactly. And so the next thing we did was watch your video piece. And I'm, does it have a title? It's just called Fishing with Angela. Oh, okay, great. And um, right, so I was wondering if you could just describe briefly what the video, in your words, is. Sure. Yeah. Um, so Angela Dufresne is a painter and um, and video artist and um, singer, songwriter, performer, weirdo teacher uh, <laughs> who I met through the Queer Art Mentorship Program. And um, after knowing her for some time, she invited me up fishing. And uh, this is sort of it's it kind of functions like a two channel video, but it's actually just uh, split screen. So on one side, you see Angela. It's footage of me with her. Uh, she's just tying flies and fishing and tying lines. And it's kind of a little bit like I'm showing you how to tie a fly. I'm showing you how to do this thing. Um, and then some of it's also quite abstract. She's um, just kind of, um, you just see her fishing uh, line and, and, and the pole itself. And then on the other side is me in shadow copying her on an overhead projector. So what I do is I move materials around on the surface of an overhead and I film the wall. But there are moments where you can actually see my overhead. So that's a moment where my apparatus is kind of paralleling her apparatus, which is this strange appendage or arm that she uses to tie the flies. Um, And so there's a lot in this uh, about mimicry, about gesture, um, where I'm trying to catch up with her and, and copy her. Um, but then I also copy other things in her life as well. I copy her dog. Um, I try to copy some of her ideas. And then there are even moments that get kind of surreal where I copy myself, where I have a moment where I'm fishing out on a kayak and I've kind of lost her and I've lost interest maybe also in her attempt to fish and she's not really catching any fish and I've had a couple of beers and so I'm just hanging out on this kayak and I get really excited about this uh, this line of light and I'm uh, and I'm kind of following this line of light that's that's really just how my camera 
is perceiving light reflecting off the water. And so in the video version, I'm at this point mimicking my own interest in this line. Um, so it, it kind of gets both really abstract and meta and then also just super practical. Like how do I just find some very simple and mundane way to, to, to copy her? And at the same time, she's talking about painting and the relationship between the gestures of fly fishing or, or throwing a line, um, the kind of drawing qualities of that and, uh, and making art, making paintings, making drawings. So, um, so the idea of mimicry in this video really comes directly from Angela and something that I then copy, um, conceptually and materially. Right. Right. And so we talked a lot about mimicry and kind of like a, a doubling, so to speak, because I really liked how you kind of segued from the video to the discussion that followed the video. And so you had talked about how the duo of myself and Sonia, and then how you decided to invite Amy Zion, uh, who's a curator, to speak in conversation with you post the exhibit or the viewing of this video, and how that was kind of another doubling, and then you copying and mimicking Angela. And so um, that kind of leads me to ask you about the text that you chose as the reading for this meeting. Um, one of them is called um, After Effect, Sympathy, Synchrony, and Mimetic Communication by Anna Gibbs. And then the other one is by Sigmund Freud, A Note Among the Mystic Writing Pad. Um, and Sonia specifically wanted to know where does your interest in mimesis come from? Sure. Well, mimesis actually directly comes from Angela. It's a term that I was not even particularly interested in. I've always sort of identified more as an abstract artist and representation or copying nature um, has never been particularly my cup of tea. Um, but Angela and the way that she was thinking about it and this kind of extraordinary gestural relationship that she was talking about involving repetition uh, and and uh, like learning something and then forgetting it, that it becomes a part of your physiology is something that is very much a part of my uh, vocabulary as an artist and my interests that really go back to even my childhood to kind of the sensorial and kinesthetic ways that I learned. So the, the, the gestural and kind of phenomenological part of this is, is really as, as old as I am, um, mm -hmm. comes out of very early childhood stuff. But um, these texts, they are, in some ways, they have been a part of my life for a few years, but I came back in contact with them just this year. The Anna Gibbs I came to when I was researching Legacy uh, for the class that I was participating in at the New Museum, part of their R&D sessions in their mm -hmm. education department. And I was looking specifically for a text that could support this video when I came in contact with it. It was perfect because it was talking about these qualities of imitation that are layered that are um, you know emotional physiological affective um, and they're really about this this notion of sharing forms or what she calls the contagion um, the way in which uh, our our movements and our actions are and are not us and what i found particularly important about that our article is the kind of the socio-political dimension of that is 
how we um, we make or, or as she says, break social bonds to create some kind of sense of ourself, particularly socially. So mm-hmm. how do we come to understand ourselves in relationship to others or a sense of belonging. So I'm focusing in my work right now on the dyad or, you know, that's part of why I picked Amy too, is that I love that you guys were this kind of pair and that we were pairing up with Wendy Subway and that I was pairing up with Angela. So it only made sense to kind of add another layer of the dyad by inviting Amy. Mm -hmm. And most recently, um, or or relatively recently, uh, Amy was in my studio and she had been to my studio years previous, so she had a, a sense of my practice over the course of time. And our conversation was so so fluid and easy, and she brought up the Freud text, and I had read mm. that in graduate school. Um, and I liked it, but I didn't quite relate to it. But in, in the last uh, year and a half, I've gotten more into psychoanalytic theory, and so I was kind of reinvigorated by that text, particularly... Um, the idea of traces and erasure and accumulation, these kind of various marks that deal with the history of um, time and gesture, um, a kind of like performance of memory, and particularly as it relates to the unconscious. So that that many of these gestures are um, intentional, like learning how to tie a fly, learning how to fish, learning how to paint, learning how to copy your mentor. Um, that that kind of intentional um, imitation, but then how much of this kind of is slippery and becomes unconscious or or unknown? So, yeah, that that's how right. I came to the text, and that's how I think about them now. This was our first meeting with two people actually, and you kind of semi answered it. I mean, how did you decide to create a dialogue with her? And I think I think what was really striking to me about the dialogue between the two of you was that it really felt like, first of all, it was much more of a discussion with the group rather than just a discussion between the two of you, which is really something that we strive for in our meetings is for things to be very open and accessible to the people who are in attendance. Um, But also it really seemed like, um, I think the two of you, I mean, she definitely knows your work and you seem very comfortable with her and it's, it really struck me that um, Amy felt like she, or it felt to me like she was more of, um, or she was more sensitive to an artist sensibility rather than like this academic, you know, super academic ivory tower curator or something. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering if that's something that was attractive to you about her. Or... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's well put. I, I'm, I just feel such a kind of safety and thinking and feeling with her um, that we can go really deep. Um, and even when we kind of sit on the surface, there is just a way in which we, uh, from the beginning of meeting, really uh, kind of understand each other, have a shared vocabulary that I would describe um, less in terms of um, learned languages and more in terms of like uh, a, a sense of desire in the world of what what we want art to do and what what kinds of conversations we want it to produce. So there was a, a kind of political affiliation between us um, and and a real kind of shared queer thinking. Even though um, she's not somebody who identifies as queer, I um, in our very first studio visit was getting uh, suggestions for really great readings. She was my first introduction to Heather Love, so that's been 
very, very rich. So um, yeah, and I was very grateful to have Amy there because she did such an awesome job keeping uh, really interesting questions moving and, and uh, reflecting back to the group and keeping things um, yeah, really open and fluid. Another thing that we talked really in depth about was um, the feminist sublime, which um, this was such an interesting discussion, and I wish that we had time to really go through it now in this episode, but um, maybe to kind of tie it up for people. Um, there's there's kind of this traditional definition of the sublime, of sort of like losing oneself in the power of nature, I guess, maybe you're feeling or feeling like a loss of oneself. Um, and so this notion of feminist sublime, um, I thought was really interesting because you were talking about it in relation to the the boundaries or the the edges that disappear through one's kind of bodily functions. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of accurate? Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe you could talk about that a little bit more. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's really this kind of celebration of abjection, the things that exceed us, the bodily functions that are so much about uh, the ways in which we are we are our bodies and yet are not entirely in control and are fundamentally quite vulnerable. And so much of my work is about making room for these uncertainties and um, these things that are really hard about just living inside bodies that can shit themselves and piss themselves and um, become cancerous and um, orgasmic and ecstatic and um, just this incredible range of, uh, of potentials. And um, for me, it's so much about the, uh, the, the critique of or the resistance to the kinds of masculinist fears of leakage, of fear of being out of control, mm-hmm. and not to say that we can live without the fear of the body falling apart, but that there might be uh, in this in the slippages and slipperinesses and um, and um, the the bleedings that we might find uh, some kind of aesthetic uh, potential, um, creative potential. So, and I don't think that this is in any way a new idea. I thought I uh, came up with the feminist <laughs> sublime, and then of course looked it up, and there's like a thousand people who've. Uh, already kind of coined the term and been mm-hmm. thinking about it. Um, but for me, it's it's a relatively new way of understanding how throughout my life I've been making work about spills. And then, um, you know, of course, coming in contact with Ava Hesse and Linda Benglis and Helen Frankenthaler and many other extraordinary um, artists who are thinking about this kind of flow of the body. Um, so, so yeah, it's about that kind of direct fluidity or physical connection, uh, to nature. Um, and so for me, I wanted to connect the lines of piss back to the earth, but also to Angela, that there might be a slipperiness between us, uh, a slipperiness between ourselves and the ground, the water, the fish, maybe even to our own fishiness, maybe even to our own disgust. Um, and, um, and for me, also the kind of playfulness with my materials, uh, and this uh, really comes again out of Eva Hesse, is to to think beyond myself or to to learn something about myself that I didn't already know. This idea of what exceeds me, so that my body uh, can kind of overflow, but then also. 
there's an overflow in terms of just the dimension of the unknown of uh, not really under never fully completely understanding myself um, or my relationship to others. So mm -hmm. as I got closer to Angela and and kind of knew her more and more, um, there there was a kind of also simultaneous increase of of uncertainty that um, I think this work tries to play with. Um, hmm. yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of abstract and at the same time very kind of literal and physical about being being bodies in the world. Um, right. And that actually brings me to my next question, which was um, how you balance the metaphorical versus the literal in your work. Um, for example, we talked about a, a metaphorical line versus a literal you know, line, a fishing line, or an actual drawn line, um, because I think that that balance between the literal and metaphorical is actually something that you really play with a lot and very skillfully as well. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, well, thanks. I, 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 it's funny because when you ask the question around using the word manage, <laughs> my reaction is to be like, <laughs> well, am I managing it or is it managing me or am I mismanaging it? I feel mm -hmm. like uh, the piece is so kind of oversaturated with ideas and, and um, maybe even overwhelms me. Um, but it is really satisfying to kind of find a context, uh, a process, a medium, uh, a structure, this way of making uh, this video, but also placing it within this kind of dialogic context of 2MF and Wendy Subway that is is really important to um, to thinking about actually the idea of of balance or of or of management that like so much of the work and its understanding of the metaphoric and the literal uh, has to come out I think particularly in this work in in conversation or even in ways that we can think about the work uh, back in relationship to our body so how does the body feel in relationship to it. Um, but I think another way to maybe answer the question of like the management is maybe even just to make a list of mm. the lines. Um, so for me, I think a lot in lists and I've even made pieces uh, uh, like called to-do list. Um, so thinking about things more as like, here's a, here's a series of things that I think about uh, in, in relationship to this like question of mimesis and my relationship to Angela. So the lines were, um, and they started out as uh, kind of familial, my relationship to my father, he's a fisherman, that's how I got interested in fishing with Angela. Um, maybe like in that regard too, like a critique of the patriarchal or the normative family and then wondering what's possible in making kind of new lines of kinship uh, with, with queer mentorship, what kinds of new families can open up. Um, and then also just thinking in a more uh, basic way about the line between mentor-mentee or teacher-student Mm -hmm. the lines between performance, video, drawing, and painting, um, the line between the video and the conversation in the room, um, and then the, the more literal lines, lines of piss, the fishing line, the fishing pole, um, the line that we made literally between our bodies and the ground when we were pissing together. Um, mm -hmm. and in the video. Right? In the video, yeah. exactly, yeah. Because um, there's a couple of shots of the two of us like squatting in nature and pissing together so um yeah and then and then that that connection back between um body to nature but then also 
of human to animal. So, and, and in this case, there's kind of more of a direct, um, or I should say maybe not a direct, uh, a complicated power relationship too. Um, my, my complicated line between myself and Angela and, and maybe um, some of the, um, how do I say this, I implicit um, kind of power dynamics between us, her as a mentor and me as a mentee, and um, yeah, and this kind of concern for the human to animal relationship, uh, the power relationship between her as a fisher person um, catching the fish. So um, right. maybe doesn't exactly answer the question of like, how do I how do I manage the space between the literal and the figurative? But for me, it's just about kind of like expounding on or, or playing with this list of possibilities of ways to imagine um, uh, the fuzzy boundaries yeah. between the literal and the physical, uh, the literal and the metaphorical. Great. Well, thanks so much, Carrie. Um, My pleasure. Thank yeah. you so much for having me, and thanks to Clock Tower yeah. Radio for hosting us. Yeah, fantastic. Um, and so our next meeting is with Caitlin McDonough at Orgy Park on Saturday, June 25th at 7 p.m. We hope you'll join us next time. And Carrie, do you have anything you'd like to add? Um, I'll just say that um, if this becomes available to people before July 9th, go check out the No Atlas show at EFA Project Space, and you can see this video there. Um, and after that, um, it'll be back up on my website, so carriedowney.com. Great. Please check it out. Um, I'm Maria Stabio, and today we spoke with Carrie Downey. Music on this episode is by Carrie Downey. This is 2MF on Clock Tower Radio, clocktower.org. Every species exists in a different practical and perceptive world. These worlds can tune themselves to each other, but they never know one another fully. A well-selected fly is two universes becoming tighter musically, adapting and listening to each other. This is the paradoxical coincidence of reciprocal blindness, which requires a prosthesis, a tuning fork as it were, a pole, and a fly of many types, sizes, and colors.